Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 78, the first 39 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Tuesday, November the 9th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. <clears throat> Thanks for being along today. We've got um, Nehemiah 9, 26 to 38, uh, the book of the Revelation, chapter 18, verses 9 to 20, and in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28 to deal with today. Continuing yesterday's Nehemiah lesson, actually, because yesterday, remember, they, they had gathered in mourning over their sins before the Lord. Ezra, the priest and scribe, had called them to this time of national mourning because they had lost sight of the, the importance of the law. They, they felt like it was perfectly okay to transgress certain points of it and were treating it, in, in essence, with contempt because they were unrepentant over the sin, for instance, of, of intermarriage, marriage with the other nations. And, and that always came with it, the threat of bringing their gods along with them. And that's always been a significant problem. It's a significant problem in the church today. We're marrying ourselves to culture too much, and we become captive to the culture, and now we can no longer speak outside the culture because we've adapted too many of its practices into the church. And so we, we have made ourselves slaves to the culture. And so in this Nehemiah passage today, uh, he's continuing the polemic about um, how great God is and how righteous he is and how merciful and faithful he is over and against the unfaithfulness of his people. So he says, nevertheless, they, the, the ones who were in the wilderness, were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemy. So once they had gotten fat in the land, they forgot the worship of the one who, who allowed them to, to be prosperous people. And they, they then rejected the prophets who came to them and, and prophesied God's anger and tried to call them to repentance. They ignored it completely. And, and the prophets are a mercy of God. The intention is to call the people to repentance and call the people to himself so that they can avert judgment. And they refuse to hear that word. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. It's an important thing to recognize that God heard their prayers because he's in covenant with them. He's never rejected his people. He continued to deliver them. He continued to hear them whenever their hearts would turn to them. But... <laughs> After they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Remember that, that, that mankind was supposed to have dominion over the earth, and what he's saying here is their enemies had dominion over your people. It, it's, dominion is conditional. Dominion is granted. So you, you have dominion 
as you're a steward over something. And so, so God gave dominion to his people to these foreign enemies. Yet, when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them, and they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. These are the words that God chose for himself in Exodus 34 when he revealed himself to Moses after the sin of the golden calf. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, forgiving. Now therefore, our God, the great and mighty, the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. This is, again, language from Exodus 34 keeps covenant and steadfast love through many generations. Let not all the hardship seem little to you that's come upon us. In other words, please see our plight, see how horrible this is for us, and, and, and hear this prayer. Don't, don't take our suffering lightly, please. And, and that's the beauty of the wonder of the Incarnation, is, is that God understands our sufferings in real personal human terms having taken on flesh. <clears throat> Come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. The, the time of the kings of Assyria is when the northern kingdom was taken off into captivity. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them. And in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Again, this goes back and recaps what happens in what Moses is concerned about in Deuteronomy 8. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. Now, it doesn't look like they're slaves, not in the way that we typically tend to mean that word, but now he goes on to explain how that is. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. So it's recognizing that these kings, this, this uh, Babylonian king, the Persian Empire, was set over them by God. Again, they have dominion over his people because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we're in great distress. In other words, they can tell us what to do. We're, we're no less slaves now than we were when we were in Egypt thousands of years ago. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. It's a fascinating thing that they have asked these leaders to sign a document saying we're making a firm commitment with you in writing. God had made a covenant with them in writing, but it was his writing on the tablets that established that covenant, and now they're making a covenant with him and signing this thing, affixing their names to it as somebody you can hold accountable for our failures. It's a fascinating undertaking that they chose to do that uh, without God saying, I need you to do this in writing. 
So in the gospel, remember what had happened yesterday was the Pharisees had come out from Jerusalem up to Galilee just to basically ask Jesus, why do you not care about the law? (laughs) And the law applied specifically to washing your hands at meals and doing it in the ceremonial and acceptable and prescribed ways. And so when they come up, remember they had to come out from Jerusalem to come and ask him this question and confront him there. And after that, Jesus goes away from there and withdraws to the district of Tyre and Sidon, which is the Phoenician Empire, sort of northwest of the land. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So this Canaanite woman. Remember that the Canaanites were the people who were displaced from the land, and so she is one of those people who would have definitely been considered unclean amongst whom they should not be mingling in any way. And yet here she comes making this extraordinary statement, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. That's an interesting thing for a Canaanite person to call Jesus. So when you say son of David, I mean, remember, that is the group of people who displaced your people from their land because of y'all's sin. And so she calls him son of David and asks that he have mercy on her. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So, you know, the answer could have been, well, it's because she's a Canaanite. Because they were oppressed by demons, and the proof of that would be the great sin of the Canaanites as well. But, but Jesus just doesn't say anything in response to her. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away. She's crying after us. Come on. This woman's pleading with us. It's becoming a scene here. Send her away. And Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he answers the disciples, and he does it in such a way that says, that's not my job. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. She's desperate, absolutely desperate, just like the people that we see in the land, just like we see with the synagogue ruler, just like we see with the woman with the issue of blood and uh, the lepers who come and kneel before Jesus. And she, she is bowing before him and begging with him. And his response is, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I mean, that's a deeply offensive and hurtful kind of a thing to say, but it's a similar kinds of things that he was saying to the Samaritan woman at the well, even though he had promised her this river of living water flowing up inside her. It, it's not without speaking the truth, because Jesus said, you know, you, you worship, you know not what. And you have to deal with your sin, you have to deal with all those things. And so Jesus here says a similar kind of a challenge to this woman And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So she's not going to argue with him and get her back up over what he has said. She's not going to take this prideful thing like the woman, the Samaritan woman had kind of a prideful reaction, although muted, certainly, by her sin. Um, So this woman is is not going to engage with that and not going to argue with him. She's still submitted to him. Because she says, it's, it, even the dogs eat the crumbs under the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. 
So her faith persevered through everything there, through the insults that were given to her. She, she didn't give up no matter what, no matter if he didn't answer or no matter if he answered in the, the offensive kind of way that he did in comparing God's people to not God's people. And so she perseveres, and because she perseveres in belief in him that he can do something, then, then she's rewarded and her daughter was healed instantly. Are we willing to persevere in prayer? Are we willing to deal with the reality of who we are and accept that and then understand that everything we have is, is a result of God's mercy and his goodness and his faithfulness and his love for us. And then receive things in that same manner, and that's the most important thing that we can do, is, is that we can always receive with humility and gratitude from the hand of our loving Father. In this epistle lesson today, I mean, I'm, when I'm reading this, I'm just thinking America and thinking, can we see ourselves in this? Is it possible for us to, to see ourselves in this lesson? Listen, and the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, Babylon, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come, just like it did at Sodom and Gomorrah, for instance, when, when fire comes down from heaven, or, or, or like what happened at Pompey, with, when Vesuvius covered the whole city in ashes in a moment. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. So they're, they're weeping and mourning, the merchants of the earth are, because there's no more money to be made, because Babylon is fallen. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, and now we move to living beings, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. Is a powerful, powerful ending to that listing. We're just talking about stuff, 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 and more stuff, and then we start talking about living beings, and then ultimately human souls. It, it tells you about the horrible nature of sin and how pervasive it is. And so, what do we see now with these slaves? That is human souls. If you can read that without thinking about sex trafficking in our day then you're missing it. The fruit for which your soul longed is gone from you, and all your delicacies and all your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls, for in a single hour this wealth has been laid waste. That you can see what, what consumes all these who are mourning here, and it's stuff. It's all stuff, and it's all consumption-based. It, it is the ultimate consumer attitude is, wow, we can't make any money anymore. We can't have all the stuff that we desire anymore because we can't sell things. And all the shipmasters and the seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. 
what city was like the great city. And, and remember yesterday, John marveled. Remember that? John marveled when he saw the woman sitting on the beast and the, and the angel said, stop it. Because it was eye-catching. It, it was something that, that was enticed him to desire. And so the, these shipmasters, seafaring men, sailors, and those who trade on the sea, what city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she'd been laid waste. It's an amazing thing, and yet we can see this same thing happening at some levels in America today. And in some levels, it's probably happening all over the world. We just, I just happen to be more aware of it here when, when the shelves are remarkably bare, comparatively so, from what we've been accustomed to. And everything is not being brought in, and, and this, the nation seems to be sort of at a loss like this. And so we're in a time when we should, as the church, recognize ourselves in this, and we should weep and mourn and confess and repent of our consumerism, of our focus on having more and more and more and not being content in the Lord. And so after we see this mourning from all those who had made fortunes there, we hear this, and rejoice over her, O heaven, and your saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Is that what we're seeking? Are we seeking to see that same thing? Are we praying for God's kingdom to come, His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because if we are, then what we're praying against is a reversal of the world's system, the world's system of values. And we should rejoice when things are brought low that are anti-God. And we should rejoice not at people, but we should rejoice at the world's system being overthrown. We should never rejoice at anyone's death, ever, 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 period, end of sentence. But, but what is being mourned here are not the loss of people. What's being lost here is the, is the death of commerce and the death of, of earl, earthly wealth. And what we're told is it was gone in a single hour. Everything that all these people had worked for all these years, it's gone, absolutely gone. And then we should rejoice whenever the world systems are overthrown, because that means God's kingdom is being restored.